Okay. I'm seeing levels. Fuck me. <laughs> we, we didn't even, we got into the first line of the movie. It could be so much worse. It could be. You're right. No, we'll be, we'll be able, we can do this again. It's great. Sorry about that. Um, we'll call this slate number two. Three, two, one. Untitled Beatles podcast. Hey, Tony. <laughs> Hi, TJ. How are you today? I'm really good, thank you. I'm ready for part two of the Untitled Beatles podcast. Uh -oh. Look at this movie because we 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 just recorded. Uh, we 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 got through the very beginning of this podcast, and then I realized I hadn't clicked the record button. <laughs> and in fairness, you know, like, look, I'm a patriot. I take responsibility. It's your fault because you didn't warn me. It's true. I should have said, "Hey, TJ, are you sure you're recording?" <laughs> Rather than I think me actually saying, oh yeah, I'm recording. We slayed it. I'm like, we're recording, right? When you clap your hands, it automatically hits record on um, on QuickTime. Yeah. Well, you have your QuickTime hooked up to the clapper. And I've got my clapper hooked up to the QuickTime. You know what I'm talking about? Clap on, clap off. I've fallen and I can't slay. <laughs> Remember that? Making fun of old people that are about to die. Well, you know, the controversy, that was real footage. A guy was trying to do a fun thing with his grandma. She <laughs> fell, and he goes, fucking gold mine. Sit there till I get this to somebody. Yeah, I blame Bob Saget <laughs> and yeah. the AFV crew. <laughs> I, I blame Bob Saget, too. That show was always mean to me. I never quite caught on to the America's Funniest Home Video thing. It was, it was always like, you know, Shelly's falling into a pool, and Grandpa's getting electrocuted, and... <laughs> Someone's got a monkey running loose. I just didn't right. find that funny. And then, like, whichever one wins is always the cute one. Like, oh, like, boy hugs dog. And it's like, oh, that's not the funniest video. No. Here we go. The winner of the $100,000 is... Bolivian Music Baby, sent in by Karen Stein and Jonathan Anderson from Kellogg, Iowa. And that's how we feel about America's Funniest Home Videos. That's right. All right. We'll see you soon. <laughs> yeah, that's no. So we, we started recording. Uh, I'm going to do something everybody who listens has longed for. I'm going to shut the fuck up and let you take over <laughs> and explain what's going on. And I will I will speak when addressed. <laughs> you heard it here. It's on tape, ladies and gentlemen, and distinguished guests. <laughs> All right, this week we are reviewing the movie, the masterpiece, the tour de Paul, Paul McCartney's Give My Regards to Broad Street, released October 23rd, 1984. Full disclosure, I did not see this in the theater, but <laughs> you did, right? I did. I saw it at the old Chestnut Street Station theaters in the near north side of Chicago, and uh my mom took me to see this pretty close to when it came out. Because when did this come out? In September of 84? October. October, yeah. I feel like we, we definitely saw this in October. Somewhere in a photo album, I may even still have the, the ticket stuff because we saved all that stuff. It's great having a mom who hoarded nostalgia. That's why I'm a Beatles collector. <laughs> like, my mom was keeping, like, we went to a Cubs spring training game in, in 1979 when they were, weren't even Mason. The Cubs were in Scottsdale oh, wow. uh, for their spring training. And uh, I've got, like, a ticket stub from that. So it's pretty crazy. Um, but, yeah, we saw it, and we got there extra early because just before the film, they showed a short that Paul had written a song for 
for a character I'd never heard of named Rupert the Bear, just you know, not known in the States at that time. And we got through extra early to watch this short film. And before I even saw um, Broad Street, I got to hear We All Stand Together, which I've loved ever since. It's this beautiful kid song that I feel like certainly in America is underrated. I'm sure we'll get to that a little later on. But yeah, I did see this movie uh, upon its initial release, and I'm glad my mom took me to see it then because it did not last long in theaters. This thing, give my regards to Broad Street, took in about a million five, and it cost nine million to make. Like, yeah, this original run lost a ton of money. It's definitely a very expensive vanity project. It seems like yeah, it was directed by Peter Webb, who was more of a commercial director versus like a film director. You could say this is like a big commercial for Paul McCartney. And that's what's part of the problem is, uh, you know, when the movie opens, one of the first things we say is screenplay by Paul McCartney. And like, that's the first sign of trouble, Tony. Uh, (laughs) Paul had this idea for a film about uh, like kind of a day in the life, largely based on Band on the Run. Yeah. That was kind of when he started coming up with these ideas. Now, Rock Show was in theaters in what, 79 or 80? Yeah, something like that. So, just a few years beforehand. So, McCartney did have a theatrical presence, but that was like a concert movie. Um, a much delayed concert movie, by the way. But, yeah, Broad Street was Paul wanted to return to kind of the fun of A Hard Day's Night and Help, and he had this script that he, he had an idea that he shopped around to other script writers, and he said, none of this is good enough, I'm writing it myself, and that's the problem. Plus having a director who's better suited for commercials than for helping to establish a film narrative. Yeah, yeah, this is in fact Peter Webb's last IMDb credit. So, you know... Oops. (laughs) How do you turn on the gig with Paul McCartney? And it was produced by Andros Epaminondas, which, isn't that Magic Alex? (laughs) I think that that is Magic Alex. (laughs) I I, I think that's one of the Atentacumpo brothers. uh, It's either Giannis or Thanos or... (laughs) Well, they started filming in November of 82, which, yeah... Yeah, you can kind of tell there's there's still like Star Wars kind of residue in it and uh, new wave music residue for something that came out ultimately in what is I would consider the mid 80s. You know what I mean? I, I would think that given some of the filming in here, there's also some cocaine residue <laughs> based on like how else do you like, you know, what we'll get to Eleanor's dream because uh Here's yeah. the thing with this movie. Uh, I, I I mentioned that I saw this in theaters. We had the old VHS tape of it with the, the gray spine on the kind of when CBS Fox was a logo. Remember yeah, when man. Kind of a thing? Uh, we had this and I watched this a ton. And then, of course, you know, the DVD came out and I watched that in the early 2000s. It's probably been 10, 15 years since I'd seen this. So watching this again was a reminder of like, Uh, Two things. There's a part of me that loves this movie, Tony, and it is objectively a terrible film that actually set Paul McCartney's career back a a half decade 
because this was when Paul McCartney kind of began to be looked at a bit like a joke, where he wasn't aging the same way. Well, in fairness, the mid-80s weren't kind to a lot. The Stones yeah. were breaking up, and Clapton's letting Phil Collins produce his records like their invisible touch. Yeah. You know. Yeah, the 80s were hard, man. Yeah, they were hard. They were <laughs> They were hard, I think, for everybody, unless you were some fat cat moron. The 80s were hard. <laughs> well, and this movie did McCartney no favors. I mentioned this is when Columbia dropped him and he went back to Capitol. And the next two things that came right after this were the theme to Spies Like Us in 85, yep. which is not McCartney's. I still don't believe, except on the uh, this UK set from the early 90s, the Paul McCartney collection, you can't find spies like us on CD in 2021, which maybe is a blessing. I'm not certain. <laughs> but And then came Press to Play, which was not a hit. So this movie should be assessed under the lens of what it did to McCartney in the 80s. While Pipes of Peace wasn't loved, it still sold. This thing wasn't loved and didn't sell as a film. And that hurt yeah. Paul's reputation till Flowers in the Dirt. It's true. Well, it does star Paul McCartney as uh, Paul, as well as Ringo Starr as Ringo, Linda McCartney as Linda, George Martin as George Martin, Barbara Bach as journalist. She didn't get a name. Sebastian Bach as Barbara Bach. <laughs> I love that. Why do they name Barbara Bach? They, they just should have called her Cavewoman. Lana. Ooh. Lana Lunda. Ooh. A Lana. And as far as people that don't play themselves in the movie, we have Brian Brown as Steve, Ian Hastings as the beleaguered Harry, Tracy Ullman as Sandra. Is this her debut? It could be. I'm not sure. But yeah, uh, I think Paul found her on like an early British talent show and I think really liked her and put her in this as a result. Oh, that's cool. Um, and it was just after this where she had that hit single, and I think it was just after this. Tracy Ullman had, like, a hit, and then she got her own show. This movie's the last moment in Tracy Ullman's life where she wasn't funny. <laughs> wow. Well, we have her to thank for The Simpsons, in a way, or whoever her show was yeah. the reason The Simpsons happened. So there's that. Her show, Married with Children, all the early uh, early Fox, Fox. Uh, Sunday show. Remember, there was a new network. And Fox is making good on the promise to make good television. 21 Jump Street. Married with Children. Duet. Mr. President. The Tracy Ullman Show. Beans Baxter. Werewolf. We put together a Sunday worth staying home for. Uh, someone named Giant Haystacks played uh, the Big Bob character, who I thought that was Led Zeppelin's manager from <laughs> Song Remains the Same. <laughs> I forget that guy's name, but Funny. I was like, is that the Led Zeppelin guy? <laughs> Ten years later? Nope. It's a guy named Giant Haystacks. And all his all his dialogue is like ADR is, is done after the fact, overdubbed. Yeah, and I don't expect him to be British every time. When he opens his mouth, I'm kind of expecting like an East Coast tough guy. But no, he's kind of <laughs> like a like like a cockney bully. Yeah, real northern. I can't understand half the things he's saying. Uh -huh. It's just a lot of grunts and stuff. Come, I've been doing this to my pickle. Have oh, you? And then someone who's knighted, Sir Ralph David Richardson, 
and uh, I think it might be his last role, but he was a theater actor. Uh, he plays the role of Jim, which mm. is kind of a fatherly figure. Yeah, both in name and actions and some of the rhyming. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, th- this uh, this movie killed him. This was it for him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is like, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, Roar. <laughs> it's an obscure movie where it's it's Tippi Hedren and uh, Melanie Griffith and they live and it's actually filmed with tigers on set and like over like whatever, 20 crew members were were like mauled and hurt in the making of this movie. <laughs> When was this from? I've never heard of this. Uh, it's obscure. It's from the 70s, and it took like five years to film because some flood wiped out half the footage they got. Kind of like today when you didn't hit record. <laughs> Dude, I'm glad I was looking. I'm like, how come my levels are so stagnant, Holmes? Oh, no. But this movie, Broad Street, like, it, yeah, Peter Webb, we never heard from him again, at least in film and TV. This is uh, Peter Webb did go on and open up a chain of car dealerships with his brother in the Chicago area. In fact, you may remember the whole town's talking about the Webb boys, the Webb boys, the Webb boys. The whole town's talking about the Webb boys and the Webb family promises. Why see your Webb family dealer today? Wow, you know it all. On Roosevelt and York Roads, where you always save more money. That's Lozzie Edelson. Edelson. You know, Solozzi auditioned for the part of Big (laughs) What's-His-Face. On Sex in the City? (laughs) (laughs) No, the the British uh, bootleg guy that Paul becomes friends with, not Harry. Big Bob? Big Bob. Or Solozzi sent in a tape. That's Edelson was like, it was like a Simon and Garfunkel thing. Solozzi wanted to act. Edelson's like, we got to stick to selling cars. <laughs> oh, someone, I think we just stumbled upon Solozzi Edelson, the musical. <laughs> Where's it playing? On York and Roosevelt Roads. At Solozzi Edelson Chevrolet in Elmhurst at York and Roosevelt Roads. Where you always save more money. It all takes place in one day, right? It's a day in the life of Paul McCartney, and mm. he's stuck in rainy British traffic. And, uh, yeah, and then so then we have him daydreaming, and it goes into Good Day Sunshine, a remake. If this keeps up, we're going to be in London till Boxing Day. The remakes in this are controversial. You know who's in the movie but not playing drums on this and any Beatles remake? It's Ringo Starr. When Ringo agreed to be in this, Ringo basically said to Paul, I've done these songs before. I don't want to re-record them. Now, he, Ringo kind of cheated because he also played drums on the original Pipes of Peace cut so bad, and he repeated his drumming on this take of so bad. 
Interesting. So he did replicate his drumming from what a year prior or whatever. But in terms of the Beatles stuff, Ringo said no way. I should mention the soundtrack of this is one of the first Paul McCartney albums I fell in love with start to finish. I can, I'll regale you with Good Night Lonely Princess under the bonus track on the CD one day. But uh, because of that, whenever I hear Good Day Sunshine, even the Beatles version, I hear uh, Jack Hammers and I know. I know it's going to take us till Boxing Day. I know uh, the limo driver, the limo driver who speaks like somebody that doesn't write screenplays wrote the dialogue for him. I know, I know, and that in the, in the soundtrack was right into the Good Day Sunshine riff where Ringo's not playing. But the radio announcer says, "Remember the summer of '66," and clearly Paul must have been because of all the revolver on here. Yeah. That's actually one of the saving graces of this movie is you get to see these performances, whether it's 20 years later or not, um, of some great Beatles songs. Yeah, that's totally right, Tony. I think one of the reasons that makes Good Day Sunshine the worst cover is the other covers of his songs are largely rethought. This one tries to replicate it. Yeah. So and we never see it live. This is probably, although Long and Windy Road, that sounds like it was used for scene music in, moonlight, in Moonlighting. Oh, you beat me to it. Oh, no. Oh, no. Sorry. <laughs> that was my note. <laughs> the Al- I said it was the Al Jarreau version. Yeah, dude, totally. <laughs> that sax that starts, it's one of the reasons I get mad at Paul when he talks about how he didn't like the arrangement of the Phil Spector Long and Winding Road. I'm exactly. Like, Did you check out yours? Yeah, with the DX7 on it. <laughs> Next on Magnum PI. No, not Magnum PI, but one of those like the days and nights of Molly Dodd. The days and nights of Molly Dodd. <laughs> The other thing is like you're seeing Paul's clear fantasy with cars and an amazing array of early cellular technology is in this film. It's so great. It's so great. Yeah. So he's driving a 1950s Ford Anglia, which was built by Jeff Cousins and given away in a contest to two sisters in upstate New York. You can maybe still see this car uh, if you're in the upstate New York area. And the consensus at Jalopy Journal is that it has a Buick Rover drivetrain and dual SUs to make it more British looking. <laughs> so you, I got to admit, you lost me at Jalopy Journal, which, I, again, another word I don't think you can say anymore. And I hope people get real angry at your use of it. You can't say jalopy and you can't say shapoopy, which makes doing the music man a lot more difficult now. It's all instrumental. That girl who's hard to get. <laughs> Even that's problematic. What do you mean get? You own? What, what are you saying with that? Ah! No, um. I, 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 can we all agree it's time to cancel the music man, including Till There Was You? There were bells on a hill. But you're right. That technology in that car is amazing. I believe it predates Kit the Talking Car from Knight Rider. Yes. He's got the red phone in there. I mean, it, it lays out his itinerary for the day in that great groovy font that was, I think that font is actually from 1968, that computer font that was all the rage. But it still works. It still works. It still works. This is when we discover while he's on this joyride in his daydream that the tapes are missing. The tapes of his latest record are missing. 
And Tony, if they're not found by midnight, <laughs> the the fantasy version of Alan Klein acquires every time. Like there's a few moments he's like, "Huh, what's up with that Wrath fellow? How did we get involved with him?" There's a few like moments of like he's living out his fantasy of revenge on, on Alan Klein. So it feels like unless the tapes are found by midnight tonight, the consequences will be very serious. Yeah, the one thing I want to say, too, about the phone is where Paul McCartney gets a lot of credit. Paul McCartney has committed a ton of himself to uh, Meat Free Monday. Paul McCartney cares a lot about the environment. But Paul McCartney, when he takes a call, pulls the fuck over. Paul McCartney does not keep driving. When that car (laughs) phone goes off, watching Paul pull over is something that should be cited for teens and adults everywhere. That level of responsibility was awesome. He pulled over. (laughs) There you go. So on a safety scale, five stars this movie gets. (laughs) In the safety category, five fabs. Five fabs. You betcha. By the way, Roger Ebert did give this movie one star. And he said it's as close as you can get to a non-movie. Unfortunately, in the film, McCartney plays not so much a beetle as a monkey. He's just some simple little kind of guy who goes around in the backseat of a Rolls Royce making a fool out of himself. This movie is a real disgrace. I give it one star. I'm Roger Ebert. Also, trivia, he was born on the exact same day as Paul McCartney. Roger Ebert and Paul McCartney share the same... They're birthday twins. My name is Julius. I'm your twin brother. Obviously. The moment I sat down, I thought I was looking into a mirror. I also feel like Paul is like playing, it feels like he's playing turbo or pole position during some yes. of this. Like, so- I wrote pole position down. <laughs> yeah. Which if I had seen this in the theaters, I would have fallen in love with that part because I was obsessed with pole position. Me too. Prepare to qualify. I feel like when they're in the boardroom, Tony, like the bunch of evil white British dudes and like (laughs) one woman who's just there to answer the phone, like those scenes are trying. Brian Brown doesn't feel like he's having any fun. He saves his least bit of enthusiasm for the end. And this one's connected to the No More Lonely Nights play out reprise. I've always laughed at. Well, gentlemen, we got the types. Like, are we done shooting? (laughs) Gentlemen, thought you'd like to know. We got the tapes. I can wait another day. That's it's a very, very restrained, yeah, understated British performance. The the whole but Paul is too. That's my overall thing in this is. He is the cute beetle. He is the smiley beetle. John Lennon was way funnier in the movies than Paul was, but Paul's energy helped carry him. Yes. There's no energy in this movie from Paul McCartney. Well, his I think his character in this movie is a Hawaiian t-shirt. <laughs> That's where my Magnum PI reference comes in. <laughs> Yeah, he's got to wear a Hawaiian shirt for however long it took to film this, a month, <laughs> two months. Because <laughs> it's all one day. I mean, with, there are some flashbacks, of course, so he did get to change his wardrobe 
once or twice and for some musical numbers. But for the most part, Paul's in this Hawaiian shirt, which that's clearly, you know, in that stuffy boardroom scene, he stands out as being, you know, the the cool guy in yeah. that very 80s way. <laughs> he's, he, he's like Bill Murray in Meatballs, but six years too late. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he is. That's yes, what, he is. That's what's a little difficult. So, yes, the, the tapes must be found by midnight or, quote, the consequences will be very serious. Uh-huh. Now we have a movie. Well, and th- and right after they say that line, they show the close up of the Roman numerals showing 10 a.m. And it's like you're like, oh, this is not a Hitchcock film. <laughs> we do see clocks throughout the day. We Yeah, we see the time ticking down. So they've up the stakes, you know. I thought you would love that because I know, again, an off-air conversation, your number two was Coldplay and their song Clocks in particular. What did you say? Like, one of the few that makes you openly weep? Was it open? I don't remember, but I know you're big into Coldplay. So the clocks in this directly, you know, much like Magic Mystery Tour inspired Death Camp for Cutie, give my regards to Broad Street inspired Coldplay song Clocks. Brian Brown does try. Great actor. He's had a great career. He at least tries, but it's so muted and understated. And then just when you feel like, where are we going with this? You see Ringo kind of testing his drums and doing these fills. And that's a really, it's just neat seeing Ringo with 80s drum technology just kind of getting his sound right is pretty cool. Yeah, he's playing a big like Neil Peart kit with the, you know, it's like a 25 piece kit and there's some echo. There's like a slap back. So when he hits it once, he gets like two hits out of it, which is kind of a theme, like the way that Paul's opening bass line has yeah. that slap back on it. It's pretty cool. There's something going on with the echo there. I will say, yeah, there's this scene. It's in the studio. It's one of the things they have to do that day, you know, before, you know, while they're trying to track down these tapes. He's got a busy day. He's got recording sessions. He's got uh, interviews to do and he's got rehearsals to go to. He's got to shoot a music video with one of his classic songs like it's being performed (laughs) in Cats. (laughs) We'll get to that. Yes. Oh, my God. When Ringo and Paul actually do interact there is some of that old help era magic going on whatever you want to call that that beetle thing it actually felt natural i was like oh this is the first time the movie actually feels kind of like a beetle movie they never ever claimed to be actors but when they were together they had something you know that qualifies to me as performance or I don't know what, I guess, performance. It's an early moment of joy that sets up one of the most joyous medleys in the whole piece. What they do with the, uh, there's a three song medley coming up and Ringo's got some bits where he's got the sticks and Paul tells him brushes. It is a funny bit where he's always like a song late for what the song needs is, is sweet and funny and a nice way to get him just to not play on uh, yesterday or for uh, that's not yet. That's is that for no one there? No, that's yesterday here, there, and everywhere in Wanderlust. Correct. Yeah, that's the medley, and it's interesting. Yeah, and then, and then you also get to see George Martin there, who plays himself very well. <laughs> I like how just cool he is. Like he's just kind of who he is and calm and. I don't know. George Martin is just a likable dude, I think. I love him. And is that George Martin or the great grandpa who plays piano in the Take It Away video in the sweater? (laughs) (laughs) I also read Jeff Emmerich is in there somewhere, too. Uh, You know, he doesn't have any lines or anything, but I think he's one of the guys 
curiously always taking the levers down on Paul. Did you see that? <laughs> Anytime they do a totally, close-up. <laughs> going down. They're turning Paul down. <laughs> I love that he approved of that too. Like, yeah, when I'm singing, have a tight close up of some hands turning my levels down. <laughs> and, then, and they go right to the French horn player and they go back to me. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun. Yeah. So it's yesterday, which is cool. And then Ringo's, yeah, going through all the bins, looking he's playing he's got a guiro, he's got maracas, he's always looking for these brushes. There's three French horns going on during Wanderlust. They also take a tea and what looks like a pancakes break. Yeah, if you were an Anglophile, you'd know tea and pancakes are an everyday studio treat. Uh, were there was there a plate of pancakes on the mixing console at one point? I felt like I saw like a plate. Like don't you don't do that. <laughs> no, you don't. Yeah, don't get syrup. That's going to ruin your fucking fifty thousand dollar pound board. This is significant to me. First of all, it's a gorgeous medley. The use of horns in this medley is incredible yesterday with the with the brass section is stunning it's a really stunning update versus there's no strings on yesterday it's paul playing with the brass section i think it's lovely why she had to go i don't know she wouldn't say Such an easy game to play. Now I need a place to hide away. Oh, I believe in yesterday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. This is the part of the movie that is enjoyable because it's seeing him do his thing you know as opposed to like this ridiculous plot that really doesn't need to happen yeah it becomes what he's good at it's a concert film yeah right which is rock sorry what's it called rock rock paper scissors (laughs) god damn it the fucking live the wings movie rock pile rock pile rock pile okay is that what it's called what are you talking about? <laughs> the fucking concert movie. <laughs> Rockestra. <laughs> Rockestra? Rock show. Rock- <laughs> the, the Wings concert movie? Yes. Rock show. <laughs> As opposed to Mock Show. <laughs> mock Show. <laughs> I couldn't remember it because it's such a <laughs> generic title. Okay. Well, rock Pile, I think, had Dave Edmonds in it, who's in yes. this movie. Rock Pile. Yes. Rock Pile is that band. Yeah. yeah there's, and then Rock Palast was the German show that you could watch in the 80s that, like, The Who played on. There's too many things with rock in it that I got them all. I have rocks in my head. On this old Rock Pile with a ball and chain. Paul had this fixation with putting out a movie. I think it's something he'd probably been wanting to do since probably 66 or something, you know, and when he started dabbling in scoring movies and he was like, oh, I want to make a movie. And yeah, so instead of doing a concert movie, he decided to kind of like toss a weird kind of plot based on didn't they lose the tapes in um, during Band in the Run? Weren't their tapes lost? They were they were mugged. They were stolen from them. They were stolen. They were mugged, right. I think, at knife point when they were in Lagos. 
See, that would have been actually a better story. And very offensive. I don't want to see a movie where Paul McCartney's be. Then it becomes Live and Let Die, where it's like the 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 terrible caricature of the black actor. Like I'm well, glad okay, make, make that it movie. take place in France or something. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> some some guy with a beret held us up and stole the tapes. It's yeah, Ma- mime. Maurice meme. Chevalier. <laughs> Me, mime, Esher, Esher. Let's call the whole thing off. You say it's Esher, and I say it's Esher. Um, <laughs> something I've always loved. I love that medley so much. Wanderlust, one of the more underrated post 80 McCartney ballads. It's such a stately, it almost, Brian Wilson covers it on that McCartney tribute album from a couple years ago. Brian Wilson's voice isn't what it was, of course, but it's such a beautiful stately piano ballad. And when they end it with Paul kind of ooing over the refrain from here, there and everywhere, it's so great. Else. They got some bits in there. Some old man makes him sign a package of cigarettes. Is that what it is? I don't know. For his wife? Yeah. It's actually kind of a funny scene because then he's kind of like, yeah, my wife likes you, but I'm not much of a fan. <laughs> oh, wait, let's go back for a second, too, because I denote there's a couple small lyric changes in this. And uh, he sings to lead a better life. I need a love of my own. And in Revolver, isn't it? I need my love to be here. So he changes the opening line of here, there, and everywhere. There's a couple moments where there's a couple of slight lyric changes that I think is interesting. Yeah, what what do you suppose brought that about? Did something change in his life? Is it because he's married to Linda now? Is that what it is or what? I don't know. I'm, I, I've never seen that explained. Um, but that's, that's one of those interesting, because that's not just changing the scoring from strings to horns. He's changed a lyric of one of his greatest ever songs. You don't just do that. Unless you're Paul McCartney. Unless you're Paul <laughs> McCartney. In that case, do it. And let's let's remember one more thing, Tony. This is a huge deal seeing him perform these songs, too, because certainly in the States, where he hadn't toured since 76, this is now eight years later. I mean, he had that brief uh, UK thing in 79, the Wings Last Stand stuff, Cappuccino and all that. But he hadn't been in the States, so to see him performing yesterday... And here, there, and everywhere in these songs again was was a big deal. Now he's on the road every six minutes with numbers in the pandemic. Back then, this was rare. Yeah, there was still such a hunger for the Beatles to even still reunite, even after we lost John. Like, people still wanted it, you know? This is the beginning of him starting to kind of give those crumbs to us, you know, little by little, which grew with Tripping the Light Fantastic in 93. And then, was it not, not 93, whenever that was? That came out in 90 from the, 90. From the 89, 90 tour. Yes, yes. Yeah. 
So then we have a flashback scene where Paul meets this guy, Harry. Excuse me, Tony. Everything's a fucking flashback scene and give my regards to Broad Street. This is now a double flashback, right? Yes, it's a, you're right. It's a dream within a dream because the whole movie is a daydream while he's in the back of the car. It's the Dallas uh, Bobby who killed JR or whatever. <laughs> my favorite episode of Dallas was who killed Bobby Kennedy. All right, so this flashback within a flashback, this double dream, we we see Harry. Harry is this assistant old friend of Paul's that he decides uh, he's done some hard time or something. He's been he has a checkered past and Paul gives him a second chance to be his like right hand man assistant kind of guy. And it was Harry who was last seen with these tapes. (laughs) Because he Harry seems like he's kind of come on, no, nothing ever goes my way. He's that guy. Why is Paul giving him a second chance? It's true. I guess it does speak to like who were the guys in the Beatles' lives? These guys that they'd known forever since the old days, like Neil yeah, and Mal right. and all that. Great point. So that's where we meet Harry, and we get the idea that Harry's probably innocent. Uh, as a viewer, I think we're like, oh, you know, let's Paul believes in Harry. We should believe in Harry. We think Harry's being framed because right now all suspicion is on this guy, Harry, that he's stolen the tapes and he's going to bootleg them. That's the movie plot, right? (laughs) Great liberal use of the word plot, my friend. (laughs) And then Ringo gets to meet a journalist, a journalist who never has a name, but uh, played by his wife, Barbara Bach. This is her last role ever, unless she's got something booked this year. I don't know what, but. No, Tony, I think whatever came before this was her last role. I'm not sure that she's necessarily in this movie. I don't know that she was. I think she's been CGI'd in because she's constantly sitting on something. Right. Talking about being a journalist. (laughs) Yeah. Also, like, it's peculiar. Linda McCartney, her presence in this film is very peculiar. At one point, I'm like, does she have any lines in this? Do we ever get to hear her speak? I was like, oh, Linda McCartney, featured extra, (laughs) you know? Yeah, well, I I mean, at one point, Paul lets her pick up a phone. (laughs) I think that's the key word, Paul lets. (laughs) Favorite improv game. Um, And my favorite uh, Steppenwolf director. (laughs) Accepting the award for August, Osage County, author Tracy Lutz and producer Martha Levy. So the other thing about watching Ringo and Barbara Bach fall in love, they directed, it looks like a certs commercial. So (laughs) (laughs) our director of this kind of made it look like they could have pulled this and just slipped a little mint tube in Ringo's pocket. I hope it's a mint tube. Happy to see you, Ringo. Yeah. A Um, little gleam in his teeth and then (laughs) put an art card over it, slap it down to 30 seconds, get it out there. By Redson. Certs Mints, and now delicious new Certs Gum, the kissing gum. Two things before we lead into the next scene. There are very Hard Day's Night-like Norman Shake bits with Brian Brown and the guy, his assistant. There are kind of these kind of like Hard Day's Night Norman Shake moments they try to replicate. I don't even know what Brian Brown's assistant's name is, but it's clearly inspired by what Richard Lester had them do in a hard day's night. Right. Yeah. And I believe Richard Lester was approached to do this, but he turned it down. Smart man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There are definitely some kind of old school 
like there's a walkie-talkie bit where they're next to each other with walkie-talkies. Yeah. Obviously, comically large 80s walkie-talkies. And, you know, trying to communicate, even though they're standing next to each other. You get it. You get it. There's another what's the cliched bit of there in the Hollywood cafeteria where everybody's dressed as something crazy. And yes, Godzilla. And like, I think Mel Brooks did that like 26 years beforehand. (laughs) (laughs) I love all the Star Wars stuff, though. There's like a a lightsaber lightsaber, excuse me, a winter green lightsaber (laughs) that uh, turns off. As if the uh, I love it that, the you know, there's no way a prop person would let you go to the cafeteria with the props, especially no. turned on. Everybody eating <laughs> spaghetti in costume. Where? Yeah. Are they doing an interior shoot for the Olive Garden? It, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, so, however, we lead now into, I think, one of the equally greatest and most ridiculous scenes in the film. I mean, Ballroom Dancing is an incredible McCartney song, another one from Tug of War. I wish she'd considered Take It Away, which, of course, is my favorite solo Paul song ever. But Ballroom Dancing is high on that list, and it's already a production number on Tug of War. Here it is extended, you know, like, to Hey Jude lengths. I love musicals. In theory, it's kind of like a perfect musical theater number, except nothing makes any sense. He's directing the kids. Wave the sword. Who tells a child to wave the sword? That's my other <laughs> thing, like Paul. Like, we wave the sword. He's on a magic carpet, Paul. Like, maybe he should sit still and like wait for the stage manager to tell him what to do with the fucking sword. <laughs> You're right. It's usually the AD that would say something like that, but there's no AD in this daydream. <laughs> Can't afford it. Daydream within a day. <laughs> What's your daydream budget? <laughs> no, no AD on this. <laughs> there's a there's kind of a Wes Anderson vibe, obviously pre-Wes Anderson, but the the whole like kids theater kind of Rushmore vibe with the curtains yeah. and the kids and the teacups and uh, the cutesy vibe to it. And yeah, it's so long, though, like. This to me is the perfect example of Paul's penchant for just overlong indulgence. Yes. Which it's just part of him. Like he brings it to concert, like, let's do the, another round on this chorus so that you get sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> now the no, people Paul. in the middle. <laughs> There's a reason why songs are four minutes. <laughs> we gave you one with Hey Jude. Yeah. We gave you one. And it worked. And so he thinks, oh, everyone wants that each time. And that this is an example of that where, yeah. It's like a seven minute number, man. And it's just like, okay, man, how many times can I watch people twirl around in Bobby socks or whatever? (laughs) Baba, Baba, Bobby socks. You know what that one is? No. It's the Oak Ridge Boys. Baba, Baba, Bobby Sue. And I can't you think I'm loving you. I'm going to m- 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 US 99, 99. <laughs> 
something about this that is so noteworthy among the band. That's John Paul Jones playing bass on this. Song. Yes. Yes. Come on. And uh, Dave Edmonds is on guitar. And Chris Speeding. Yes. Is it speeding? I, 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 I think it's spedding. I spedding. Think. I think you're right. That's why I said it hesitantly. Chris Spedding is on guitar as well. Longtime session guitar player. Dave Edmonds, another one of the great players who also did a Ringo tour. Dave Edmonds did an early Ringo All-Star band tour. Um, but yeah, the band, and we're going to get to some of the rock songs later, but like, yeah, the, the band he put together for the new stuff on this was amazing. Yeah. I mean, he got John Paul Jones. That's a, that's a, it's a huge get, man. A coup, as Paul Schaefer would like to say. (laughs) (laughs) Chris Spedding, he had put out some solo records. There's a song he did called Video Life in 1978. That's, that's real fun and kind of like a, it almost feels home recorded kind of a way, but uh, it's cool. Check it out. He's got some cool stuff. Say hello to the video life. Yeah, so we see uh, we see Tracy Ullman here, and Tracy Ullman, a great British comedian, a great just a great comedian in general. But Blaze a Trail as a woman with her own network comedy variety show in the in the mid '80s on Fox. Uh, so Tracy Ullman, like kind of a comedy trailblazer. But then they go into I think one of the worst and most unfortunate moments in Paul McCartney history. <laughs> And this is a number that is of concern for, I mean, let's be honest, countless reasons. And he did a... a Parental guidance is advised. Oh, yeah. And this song is what inspired Tipper fucking Gore, is is what, what this song did. He does a cover of Silly Love Songs as an early 80s funk pop piece with a little bit of disco where everyone's dressed up like they're in the worst regional production of Cats you have ever seen. As somebody imitating Michael Jackson begins breakdancing 80% worse than Michael Jackson does. <laughs> oh, poor Jeffrey Daniel. That was the man who played Robot Dancer. Uh, that well, hold was his on. credit. Jeffrey Daniel is 80% worse than Michael Jackson. His prime is still a B plus, A minus. But I'm saying, they, <laughs> think of that number with Michael Jackson. Couldn't get him. He was too busy buying Paul McCartney's catalog. I wouldn't say I like it, um, but I find it visually funny. <laughs> I, I suppose that wasn't its intent, but I mean, it is definitely of the early 80s. They are dressed up very new wave, like, you know, somebody's idea of new wave, you know, a, a commercial director's idea of new wave. And it's kind of interesting. Paul's got like this, like they have these like weird Sig Sig Sputnik kind of haircuts, Uh Linda looks very strange and very angular, like Grace Jones in whiteface, kind of. Yes. <laughs> and there's like elements of Tron, that movie Tron. Yes. <laughs> so it's kind of cool. Like visually, I think I would have been excited. I saw Tron in the theater and was so disappointed because it's so boring. It is like one of the most boring films you'll ever see. I, I, I may have even fallen asleep during, and I was like <laughs> six or seven when that came out. Um, so this would have been like, oh, Tron with excitement because there's a, a break dancer in it. He's not break dancing, but he's doing that kind of, um, yeah, this robotic, whatever you want to call that 
dancing. That kind of pop and lock. Yeah, and he leans. He yeah. almost leans to a 45-degree angle. That's like, you know, it's like if Michael Winslow, the police academy sound effects guy, was a dancer. You know, he can do these, like, tricks, you know. What <laughs> Does it, that make sense? Yes, but would he do them with sound effects as well? I don't know, man. To me, it's fun. And that's Jeff Porcaro on drums. Uh, not just Jeff Porcaro on drums. Steve Lukather's playing guitar. It's like two-fifths of Toto there you go. are on this song. And I, I got to say, much as we bash Toto, we, we don't bash Toto. I bash Toto a little bit. <laughs> I'm a Toto defender to the grave. You're a total Toto. Both the Wizard of Oz dog and the band. <laughs> um, and y'all be honest, it's not in the way that you hold me. It's not in the way you say you care. Yeah. It's not in the way that you talk to my friends. They were also part of the Thriller album. Jeff uh, Pokero and Steve Lukather played on Beat It. Is that right? And yeah. Eddie Van Halen. Wow. Yeah. It's 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 wild. These guys also both played on The Girl Is Mine with Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson. So he goes back to that the Thriller sessions with them. Yeah. And now Steve Luka Doncic, a um <laughs> plays uh, with Ringo. So it's kind of a cool connection. So then the van crashes into a like kind of a souped up, not a monster truck, but, you know, some truck that's gotten some work done on it. A douche mobile. <laughs> Yeah, big asshole mobile. And now they're suddenly on the docks because if, you know, you're in a rock band, you got to go out to the docks to uh, record in a big warehouse space. And that's where the movie turns into band practice for <laughs> like 25 minutes. Yeah, that's, that's all it is. It does start with a great and semi-offensive line from Ringo. Do you think you can get some heat in here or are we practicing to be Canadians? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Vancouver. <laughs> Vancouver Mellencamp. Um, it's around here where I have the note that says the most energetic beetle never musters any energy. I mean, it's only like one of the few times you see him smile is in this next scene. And these songs, with the possible exception of the So Bad cover, but I'm going to say that uh, Not Such a Bad Boy and No Values are two favorite McCartney songs of mine. They're unlike anything he did for many, many, many years, basically following Back to the Egg. Just doing these straight rock songs, you know, I mean, maybe the next one of these is only Mama Knows from Memory Almost Full. Think of all the albums where he just didn't have a Wings-type rock song. Here in the mid-80s, he's got two of them. Not Such a Bad Boy is top five solo McCartney for me. That Chris Spedding guitar solo and Dave Edmonds on guitar, Ringo on drums. Um, is it Jody Linscott, the like the famous percussionist, is playing bongos on that? Is that who she's that like, is? Okay. She's like a well-known... Uh, she's uh, having fun. Yeah, she's having a ball. Like It's an infectious number. I love the sound of it. It's not one of his greatest songs, but I love the way it's played, and it almost has that kind of like 
Robert Gordon kind of that I think Chris Spedding's kind of guitar playing gives it like a a roots early rock feel to it that I just love. Yeah, it's it's cool. I mean, it's one of the better parts of the film because it has again nothing to do with the plot. Um <laughs> With you know, occasionally you see Tracy Ullman kind of drearily walking off into the British uh, rain set, and uh, we get our first glimpse of uh, giant haystacks as Big Bob <laughs> smoking a cigarette and just kind of watching in the background. Uh, he's this uh, enormous man dressed in like dirty crocodile Dundee clothes. <laughs> Best kind. <laughs> But other than that, you're watching the band play like what seems it was like three full songs. It seems like that. Are they? Well, yeah, b- because then Eric Stewart comes in from 10 CC and plays on So Bad, which he played on the original recording. So Eric Stewart grabs a guitar. Yeah. And uh, so you get to see, you know, one of the you know, he's also in the Take It Away video. So you get to see one of Paul's good early 80s collaborators on screen. Which is sad because so bad, not known for its. You're not going to confuse so bad with Layla. So bad is not one of the great guitar songs of all time. No, but Linda stands up and gives a really groovy Moog solo. You know, that song was a had a terribly unfortunate title. To call a song <laughs> so bad is that you already have like a strike against you. And, you know, Pipes of Peace, not a great album, but one of the reviews I remember reading at the time said, how great would it be to hear like a Smokey Robinson or like a Motown artist sing this song? And Smokey Robinson later covered it a couple years ago for the Arda McCartney compilation. Again, like with the Brian Wilson Wanderlust cover, Smokey's voice is just a bit shot. But maybe this song in different hands would be a classic, but this is not great 80s solo McCartney. And to recut it a year after the album came out felt like a wasted opportunity for a song slot. He must have really loved it to have tackled it again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it fits this movie. <laughs> you know, so it gets a little adult contemporary. You know, it's, it's where he's headed a little bit. So it makes sense. It's the 80s. Here we go. You know. <laughs> and, and then he picks it back up again with No Values, which is not as strong of a song as Not Such a Bad Boy. But just to hear him kind of doing a rock and roll tune, then they start jamming at the end. We're spedding and Dave Edmonds have a guitar solo, and Paul does one of his fake like he didn't unplug where they intentionally fucked up. We can work it out so he could do a, this is so informal. We'll start again. Right. Even though it, had, it was intentional. This he's like, no, 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 don't do it. Don't know. Okay. Well, I guess we'll take lunch. Like, no, Paul, let that guitar solo go on for another like minute. This is a soundtrack album that has David Gilmour, Chris Spedding, and Dave Edmonds on it. There are not many McCartney albums that boast those three incredible level of guitar players. That's what keeps the Broad Street soundtrack from being a joke. I put the Broad I can't wait for the archive collection edition of the Stony. I love the Give Me Regards to Broad Street soundtrack. 
Really? Even with like the silly love songs with the slap bass and all that? Yeah, because removed from the insanity of the video, I take it for what it is. I actually love the key change in the silly love songs. All right. There you go. Yeah. And there's like, if you get the right one, the British one's got like seven bonus tracks of like play out version of No More Lonely Nights, you know, extended version, special dance mix. Well, picking back up with the plot, we discover that Interpol is now on the case of the missing tapes and Ringo is actually one of the suspects. (laughs) Yeah, well, he should be. (laughs) Yeah, he hasn't sobered up yet. So, I mean, he's just as bad as uh, Harry. Dude, uh, two years before Ringo stole his own tapes for Old Wave. Right. So, so there's that. <laughs> right, right. Well, then, so then we they meet an eccentric producer who McCartney scores with this sprightly, <laughs> like, leprechaun music. Because <laughs> he also did all the scoring on this, too, him and George Martin. So that was an interesting choice. And then, yeah, so he asks him, there's uh, apparently a clueless interviewer who asks him, like, oh, do you write your own lyrics? Which I thought that was actually pretty funny. That's a funny one. Yeah. And then, yeah, we, so now we get to see him actually perform these groovy uh, Revolver songs kind of in a stripped down different version. He starts off uh, with For No One, which has always been one of my favorite McCartney songs. And, yeah, I just love that he chose this one kind of out of the blue. Your day breaks, your mind aches. You find that all the words of kindness linger on when she no longer needs you. She wakes up, she makes up. She takes the time and doesn't feel she has to hurry. She no longer needs you. And in her eyes you see nothing No sign of love behind the tears Cried for no one A love that should have lasted years You want her, you need her And yet you don't believe her When she says her love is dead You think she needs you This is the third Revolver song, right? I mean, he's done Good Day Sunshine. He's done Here, There, and Everywhere. And now he's done um, For No One. So this is a heavy McCartney Revolver. It's it's interesting that a couple years before Sgt. Pepper's 20th and all the hubbub, here Paul is honoring what I think many Beatle fans consider the the real best Beatles album. Yeah. Would be Revolver, not Sgt. Pepper. Um, Who the hell are you to tell me Sgt. Pepper can't be my favorite Beatle album? (laughs) And I am talking about the soundtrack. The Bee Gees doing Golden Slumbers took the song to different heights. It was actually Peter Frampton. The Bee Gees didn't come in until Carry That Weight. Golden Slumbers fill your eyes. It's cool seeing Paul in a tuxedo on stage with Eleanor Rigby. But hey, man, this is where this this Eleanor's dream legit gave me ni- two things gave me nightmares as a kid. The movie Hair, <laughs> um, I think it was there burning the draft cards, which I s- support. Not saying the act got me in there, but like the shoot, like 
the movie Hair always gave me nightmares, and this for no one scene, it's like unsmiling Victorian Paul and horses, and they fall off a cliff and a waterfall. Eleanor Rigby, and, yeah. Uh, I, I, Eleanor Rigby I'm talking about, yeah. yeah. Uh, this uh, Eleanor's Dream, it's called, and it's it's impenetrable, and it doesn't end. It goes on a long time. Isn't it close to like 10 minutes this thing goes on? Yeah. I mean, that's a long time for Eleanor Rigby. <laughs> Granted, I think they break it up with something from Brahms. Is that right? Brahmsian tunes. Yeah, suddenly we're in a dream. Like, I mean, I've lost track of how many daydreams and dreams we are involved with here once we get into Eleanor's dream. But suddenly we find ourselves, yes, in a very uh, Victorian era and... Well, it looks like they've rubbed Vaseline all over the camera lens. Everything is very... <laughs> Moonlighting reference, they were trying to get that Sybil Shepherd look. You know, where Sybil Shepherd demanded she had the filter over the camera anytime she was in her own shot. Is that right? So, yeah. So for this, they did the Vaseline effect where they just lubed Vaseline. I just used lubed as a <laughs> verb, but I'm not going to apologize for oh, yeah, it. Yeah, that's okay. That's, that's still okay. But yeah, now so Ringo and Paul are now rowing on a boat and Linda is reading and Barbara Bach is just sitting drinking and, you know, what is going on? It's just like dragged out kind of, uh, I don't know, self-indulgent. Like it's, it's I think it's like in help and stuff where they're like, oh, we wanted to go on a ski trip. So like, oh, we'll shoot a ski trip scene. This is Paul being like, I want to be Victorian and wear a hat and wear a <laughs> top hat. And it's a lot of Paul just staring off in the distance, not reacting. That's what's so confounding is it's like Paul's emotionless for the duration of this thing yeah. for 10 minutes. He's become a model, you know, where it's like, oh, I'm I'm all that you need. It's like, no, we need a little more, Paul. We need, Paul. We need a little more. I mean, the fool on the hill thing worked, but he was also a little bit of a character in that. Here he's just not even a character. He's just like... On set. That, that's all it is. I'm here. <laughs> Roll. <laughs> what a great point about how a, um, a uh, an earlier Paul self-indulgent fantasy felt more contained and, and, and of its place in Fool on the Hill for Magical Mystery Tour. I never complain about that being meaningless or self-indulgent because, one, it's such a gorgeous song, and, two, it feels part of a madness that's shared with the other Beatles and other interesting characters. That's part of this problem. Is there's no other interesting characters. Brian Brown, gentlemen, <laughs> we, got, we got the tapes. Gentlemen, I'm sure you'd like to be the first to know. We got the tapes. Here's a little soundtrack trivia. On the original vinyl and CD pressing, Eleanor's Dream was like just a minute and a half or so. When they reissued it in 93 as part of this McCartney collection, all nine minutes of Eleanor's Dream is on CD. I don't know which is the one that's streaming, but mm. people were spared for the first decade this album was out. And then they were they reissued like, let's throw the whole thing on there. No, we don't need all nine minutes of Eleanor's Dream. We just don't need to hear it. I'm talking to you, Terry. I love you. We don't want to hear Eleanor's dream. Plus Breakfast with the Beatles Sunday mornings, 8 to 10, here on XRT. And throughout, a uh, there's a waterfall. I believe the tapes arrive. I didn't know what the tapes were. When, when I'm watching this, I'm like, what is this outer space cushion that is, or is that a cake? And I realized, like, oh, those those are the tapes. That's the box of the master tapes. And there's, like, this, you know, very Sergeant Pepper's film-era technology of it glowing, you know, on the screen. 
Yeah, and then Harry pushes Ringo and the ladies towards a waterfall. They fall down into the waterfall. Paul does like a home alone with his face, like, oh, no. (laughs) How could he not right there not do a cover of his don't go jumping waterfalls? Oh, that would be too on the nose. That would be too on the nose. (laughs) And then he's in a winter wonderland, and he's got a top hat and sideboards, as he likes to say. And then Linda is riding the the horse from the TriStar opening. It's all very kooky. Then Paul ends up in like old Joe's neighborhood from Christmas Carol. It's very dark (laughs) and there's all these paupers (laughs) running and scurrying about and it's like uninteresting Dickens is what it looks like. (laughs) And at one point when they're rowing, it briefly becomes the off the ground cover. At one point, they're all they're all, yes. they're all sailing on a wine dark open sea together. It's it's uh, yeah, it, it's interminable. And I I distinctly remember as a ten year old thinking this isn't why I like the Beatles. I remember <laughs> thinking this was like uh, you know, we, we just seen them like you know even like uh, you know the weirdness of silly love songs as a kid. It was current, you know. It's like used videos I'd seen before, so I kind of got that. But this, yeah, like, right. This feels like a boring classical thing you had to watch in school. Yeah, like, this yeah. This isn't why I like them. There is a funny film strip quality to it. You're right. That's funny, man. Yeah, and it is just so long. Again, it's the too long stuff. It's it's the this is where you need someone to come in and say like, "Hey, we don't need 11 minutes of this song, or whatever." Well, it is. thank God we get another car chase and the original band on the run, not a remake of it. Yes, I do like this part. This next part's awesome again too. More more pole position. <laughs> Yeah, and then so then he he meets his old weird friend Jim. You know this. I don't know who he is, but he's got to go see this guy Jim, <laughs> new character, hour and fifteen minutes in, and uh, Jim has a chimpanzee. <laughs> Can't do that anymore. <laughs> that that went away with Michael Jackson was having like zoo animals in your home, right? Bubbles. Yeah, yeah. So, right. And Jim, I guess what does Jim kind of offers him, I suppose, some sort of sage advice. Yeah. And then we get that Al Jarreau version of Long and Winding Road. And we mentioned this earlier, but, you know, just to kind of reiterate this, Jim was Paul McCartney's father's name. Yes. And Jim was a musician and apparently used to speak in rhyme occasionally and was very poetic. So this was a really kind of nice, sweet tribute. This does remind me a bit, though, of when uh, the dude in Yesterday goes to visit old John Lennon. (laughs) Yes. Still wearing his John Denver glasses. Old John Lennon, dad old John Lennon. (laughs) We're learning about your range. Look at that. That was low, man. You should be in the Oak Ridge Boys. I I had to go there after. Can't you see my love for you? Oh, yeah, right. We're winding down. The movie is... Achingly reaching a crescendo. 
Yeah, we're about an hour 35 in. And this Long and Winding Road, I will say this, it is brilliantly played and produced, but it is not my kind of Beatles music I want to hear. The Long and Winding Road That leads to your door Disappear. I've seen that road before. It always leads me here. Lead me to your door. Was it a DX7? What what's yeah. the keyboard sound in there? Yeah, yeah. it's a Yamaha. I want I think it's a DX7. It's that yeah, it's that moonlighting. It's that I know Stevie Wonder loved it. You know, God bless him. Everyone in the '80s seemed to be using this sound. It's the Doogie Howser sound. And this was done to make this more current. But again, Tony, like for Paul to complain so much about the Phil Spector version of this, which would you rather hear: the Spectreized Long and Winding Road from the Let It Be album, or this Spectre? Yeah, a murder version. Yeah. <laughs> now that's on parentheses, murderer version. Uh, th- there's a great, actually, my favorite performance along the winding road is there's a weird rehearsal version that was released as a B-side to the figure of eight single from Flowers in the Dirt with his touring band. Hmm. And they're just kind of rehearsing it in studio, playing through it with Hamish Stewart uh, singing harmonies. That's my favorite version. I don't think that's ever been released digitally, but if you want to check out a nice deep version of Long and Winding Road, check out the touring rehearsal version as the B-side of the um, Figure of Eight single. go man i love it you are the encyclopedia of solo mccartney that stuff that's (laughs) what i was doing that's all i was doing man i was a weird kid (laughs) oh uh, tony before we get to the very ending one more long and winding road thing for you um he ends it singing let me know the way whereas lead me to your door is the ending on every other version i've ever heard so that's another weird lyric change paul mccartney makes he ends with let me know the way which is just weird to me. I just wanted to throw that out there because it's not like him. Every song he does on every tour, it's exactly the same. So it's weird when he does make those lyric changes. They're 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 weird and they should be noted. Yeah, you're right. That is a that's a curious good good ear. I missed yeah. that one. So now it's in the movie. We are approaching midnight, and no more lonely nights is playing as Paul has an epiphany and remembers that the last time he saw. Poor beleaguered Harry was when he was saying he was going to head to the Broad Street Station. I give my regards to Broad Street. Remember me to Leicester Square. Give my regards to Broad Street, because you know that I'll be there. Which was an actual train station that was in shambles at the time of this filming. This movie officially closed that station. It closed, I think, in 86. Yeah. Broad Street. This movie helped expedite the closure of a <laughs> famous old school <laughs> tube station. They were like, we want nothing to do with that movie. No, tear it down. 
I can wait another day Well, No More Lonely Nights plays, it's basically a video of Paul. He's not even singing to it. It's just him wandering around this train station for three full minutes, you know, and we, we see that it's like 10 to midnight and he comes upon the tapes. The tapes have just been left out on a bench. Well, l- let's talk No More Lonely Nights for a second because sure. this is one of the last massive hits he ever had. I think it made it to number six on Billboard buzzer or ding effect here we go um but this song is produced by george martin it is one of his most beautiful melodies i think he ever wrote uh it has david gilmore playing an incredible guitar and it ends like a pink floyd record which is really there's no other paul mccartney song you can say that about uh massive hit included on wingspan for some reason which i never understood because this song is not by wings not wings. which is just one yeah. of those things nor is it wangs <laughs> or uh, old Walgreens cafeteria wags. Oh a- <laughs> yes, I used to eat at wags. Loved wags. I had many a junior high hangout at wags. Thank you. Uh, loved it. <laughs> I, I we my grandmother lived in the one above. Uh, my other grandmother lived in the one above uh, Walgreens on Michigan Avenue in Chicago. So that was our. We'd go to that wags a I lot. Loved on it. Sundays. Walgreens giving Denny's a run for its money. Wags presents five delicious seafood entrees. Great for lunch, great for dinner, all for under five fifty. Today's a great day for Wags. This single is so significant because it's a great song, it's a huge hit, and it's another one, Tony, whether for promotional purposes or on talk shows or in concert. Paul McCartney has never performed No More Lonely Nights live. Not even once. One of his biggest ever hits, one of his biggest, arguably his biggest 80s hit that wasn't a duet, um, mm. and he, ne- he never did it live. It's, it's wild to me because it's almost, I'm not calling it in the same league as Maybe I'm Amazed, but I believe No More Lonely Nights is his 80s Maybe I'm Amazed. I, I, I hear you saying that. <laughs> where 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 are you? Is that is it TD's Pappy for you? Hello, yeah. Pappy. <laughs> Hello, Mummy. Yeah, yeah. This song I have. Uh, this song did not really hit me when I was a kid. Like when it came out, I I don't really have a lot of recollection of this song. If if I do, it sounded like something my mom would listen to. You know what I mean? I think when this song came out, I think I was more interested in like Run DMC or whatever. So this was like kind of parental music to me. I don't know. I don't know. It's not my favorite of his. We disagree. <laughs> we do. I we give do. it five plus fans. <laughs> you know, I, I, I love it. And I think I especially loved my ear. One of the reasons I fell in love with Pink Floyd uh, some years later is that David Gilmore guitar playing was kind of burned into my brain. That when I started hearing Pink Floyd and making the connection was a big a big deal for me. That's cool. Yeah. I, I like Gilmore solos. Yeah especially his slidey ones from that, you know, metal dark side era. And, and his cover of Slidin' from McCartney 3. <laughs> That'll be on <laughs> 3 Imagine 2 for $500 for the Newberry <laughs> Comics edition. doesn't even exist. It's, it's, it's an MP3. It's an MP3 it's on pink, vinyl. Right? It's on brown vinyl. You have to plug it in to play it. It's hard to spin. <laughs> you have to play it backwards. You have to stand on your head. Uh, it's $500. <laughs> it plays once. 
Okay. Put those all together and turn them backwards. Well, during the No More Lonely Nights wandering segment where we get to imagine Paul's thoughts for three plus minutes at 10 to midnight, uh, he stumbles upon the tapes. They are just left out on a bench. Wow. Amazing film. What a great way to do that in a well, film. But Tony, how do you end on a bigger joke? He didn't just find the tapes. He found Harry locked with an inside lock in a dirty, ratty train room that he thought was a toilet. That's exactly it. The old, is this a utility closet or a water closet? Utility closet or water closet. All right, folks, you got five minutes to decide if there's a toilet here. If there isn't, don't take a poop. We'll be right back. And so that's the happy ending. They call everybody. Hey, we got the tapes. It's before midnight. Gentlemen, I think you'd like to be the first to know. We got the tapes. We got the tapes. Well, it is almost midnight and the pubs are all about to close. So <laughs> everyone's tired in the UK at that time. And uh, Barbara Bach and uh, Sebastian Bach and um, Rockenbach Chevrolet. Rockenbach. Chevrolet, we got Chevys and Chevys and Chevys. You'll save a lot, save a lot at Rockenbach Chevrolet on Grand <laughs> Avenue. Avenue. <laughs> That's a different one, but yeah, it's all the same one though. Um, yeah, uh, the, uh, so Barbara Bach is celebrating with Linda McCartney and Ringo having some cocaine party. And this member in the eighties, everything was too <laughs> yeah. white. Yeah, yeah, yeah they are in a very white house uh, enjoying yeah having drinks just living it up like that's their life you know but still i mean the guy left the tapes just out he was gonna go take a piss and he leaves the tapes just laying out there For he should hours. still get he should still get fired fire him <laughs> it's not like he did a good job <laughs> uh, not only that the force there's like seven minutes of of watching paul and the actor playing harry awkwardly laugh and try to slide down a rail, and they're giggling about oh, it, and like, right. end it, edit that. <laughs> nope, nope. Have have them jump in the air in a freeze frame. <laughs> freeze frame. I mean, it's a Paul McCartney production. It's got to be over long, and it's got to yeah, you got to overstay your welcome yeah. a little bit. No, I love Paul, and I I I love mm -hmm. every moment of of having seen him live. I I, I don't wish it had been shorter. Um, and as I'll always point out, I am the lucky one of the lucky many who got to see Paul and Ringo play live at the Dodger oh. Stadium a, a year and a half or, or ago or so. I love that so much. It was amazing. And yeah, so if that then that was at the end of the show. So, hey, you can be as you're allowed, Paul, to be as overlong as you want. The good news about this movie is that there is a fast forward button, you know, if you're just like, OK, you know. Searching for the time that has gone so fast. Oh, I love seeing uh, what's his face there, Alan Klein. Wrath, uh, not uh, they. They leave the room. They get the papers taken out of their hands. That's a fun moment. <laughs> Fuck you, capitalism. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the Alan Klein estate was really steamed about that portrayal. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, it's such an anticlimactic ending, right? That is clearly came from an inexperienced screenwriter named Paul McCartney. <laughs> With nobody around to say to him, Paul, stop it. 
in that South Bank show, the documentary of this, they talk about, um, they asked Paul, like, do you miss John? Would you write if he were still here again? And he goes, no, I think that was it. We, you know, we broke up. We're different people now if he were still here. But this is one of those cases where, yeah, Paul McCartney could have used John Lennon. Yeah, someone to, to help edit for sure. Yeah, and in that South Bank show, which is great, it's you can see it on YouTube. It's it's about fifty minutes long, and it's all about the behind the scenes and the making of this movie. It's great because you you see a lot of Paul and George Martin interaction. But even in that interaction, uh, you can tell it's almost like Paul kind of wears the pants in that. Like George Martin might have some suggestions, but they all kind of are like where he's like, oh, maybe you should fade this song, you know, earlier on the album. And Paul's kind of like, yeah, or whatever, and kind of challenging it, saying like, nope, it's going to go my way, you know. So even with George Martin there, he, he couldn't edit the, I'm going to be honest here, the ego yeah. of, of Sir Paul. Well, the, you know, but the proof's in the pudding. And, you know, obviously you and I love Paul McCartney, and I, I call myself a Paul McCartney apologist, but... This movie, the public decided this is supply and demand in action where this movie cost nine million to make. It made what one point six or one point seven million. So this was rejected. The soundtrack, like we mentioned, sold well. Here's one note yeah. about the soundtrack. This was so all over the place. The soundtrack album, which is the first one that I had, there's a note on the back of it that says this record is longer than usual, but due to the available playing time on a vinyl disc, some editing of the soundtrack has been necessary in order to retain full volume and dynamic range. Even longer versions exist on cassette and compact disc. Now, the vinyl, CD, and cassette of Broad Street all have some different variations. Different version of the No More Lonely Nights playout, different editing of some of the songs, incidental music. So it's a very strange curio in the McCartney catalog. This album, which did sell a ton of copies, this album is exists differently on cassette, CD, and vinyl. And the video itself, the movie itself, uh, you can watch it on YouTube, which is how I was able to watch it recently for this. Um, but it has not been released in any form really since I, I think there was one DVD of it. Maybe there's a DVD in the early aughts in the Oh three or Oh four. That was yeah. like a budget line release with a terrible photo on the front of just Paul <laughs> McCartney's floating head. Like at least the VHS <laughs> box had the artwork and it's blue and the kind of neon stuff. Right. Right. With Paul considering something as he puts his finger on his face. Yeah, the most energy he showed <laughs> other than sliding down a thing with Harry. Right, in a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> Paul McCartney, Tom Selleck. So this movie, I think, if, if you're looking for a movie, this is not it. But if you're looking to see Paul McCartney performing some songs in the 80s, some of which, you know, are unique and like the Beatles, you know, for no one, et cetera. Yeah, this is great. There are five or six moments in this one hour, 48 minute movie that demand a Paul McCartney fans attention. If it were just uh, not such a bad boy and no values, that'd be one thing. But for no one is great. The early medley we talked about with yesterday here, there and everywhere and wanderlust is about 11 minutes of beauty. Just total beauty. It's great in the soundtrack, but it's worth seeing just to see McCartney 
still, and this is also just before Paul's voice began to turn. Now, I believe Paul McCartney is one of the, if not the very best voices in rock and roll. And Paul still has a great voice. He can still hit so many of those high notes. He does Maybe I'm Amazed in the original key when he does it live. It may not be perfect, but he's still doing it. But Paul's voice began to change right around that uh, 89-90 tour. And this is still the last era of Paul's voice in its absolute prime. And a telling moment is in that documentary where they were considering doing Hey Jude. And that was one of the ones where Ringo was like, nope, I don't want to. I'm not going to play that. I did it on Hey Jude. But he was still considering it. But he was a little reticent because it featured some notes that were higher in his range that he was able to hit in 68 that he wasn't so sure in 82, 3, 4 if he could hit again. Well, yeah, because he hadn't been out on the road in so long. I mean, that's. Uh, listen, the, the worst thing about John Lennon's assassination is the death of John Lennon. But the other effect is you had no Beatles on tour for basically the rest of the decade. Paul didn't tour till it. He hit the U.S. in the winter, late winter of 89. Right. And that's about the time All-Star Band was starting up, too. It was like 88, right? I think spring or summer of 89 was in the first All-Star Band oh, yeah. as well. That's right. It was 89. Yeah. So nine years. So that was another effect. And then George never hit the U.S. He had that series of shows in Japan. And then he did a one-off in the U.K. at the Royal Albert Hall and I think, 92. And that, that was it. Well, the movie is called Give My Regards to Broad Street. I think you can stream it on YouTube, at least at this writing. That's how I was able to watch it. And if you can't get enough of it, there's also a video game of the same name. Uh, you can play it on your Commodore 64. And it's, it's, it's a lot like those, you know, video games like E.T., Raiders of the Lost Ark on Atari 2600. It's kind of one of those games where it's, you have no idea what's happening or how to play it. But the premise is... No. <laughs> How did you ever get E.T. out of that level? It's E.T. just walking around in a pit for 10 minutes. Yeah. A lot of people claim that that was the uh, the downfall of the whole Atari thing was that game. Yeah. Well, it's like that. Uh, you get to hear like an 8-bit version of uh, Band on the Run. Band on the Run. While driving around London, looking for your other bandmates to find the missing notes of No More Lonely Nights. And that that's how you win the game. <laughs> uh, I think it's pretty rare. It's Somebody put up uh, some gameplay of it on YouTube, but I actually think the actual game cartridge is hard to find. That's not like, oh, look what's six bucks on eBay. Because, no. uh, you know, it just didn't really sell. How do you sell a video game? about a movie that nobody cared about. <laughs> right, right. People liked E.T. and Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> they bought those crappy games. <laughs> People didn't like this movie. <laughs> you know, it's like Leonard Part 6, the video game or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. I'll take great Bill Cosby movies for a thousand. <laughs> Ghost Dad, the video oh, game. Oh, <laughs> no. We, we should have known then. When Bill Cosby became unfunny, that's when we should have known something was up. Um. All right. Hey, Tony, that was a ball. And uh, next week, I think we're doing Bad Boy. Yeah. Yeah. I think aren't they going to re-release that one this year? I think with all the extra tracks and, you know, essential mixes and elements mixes, get isolated of just, oh, yo, 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 yo. A rabbi's favorite song. <laughs> 
No, it, it's it's actually they they found uh, an unreleased track called "Monkey See, Monkey Don't." Untitled Beatles podcast. Like and subscribe. 